Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, we are in our third week of John 16. We had two weeks ago the gift of Easter joy. We had last week the gift of Easter in the sending of the Holy Spirit, our paraclete, our defense attorney, our advocate, comforter, helper, all those things. And today we have the gift of Easter of prayer, but not just of Easter, but also of the ascension. We need to remember this, that uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus are bound up to each other. And as we've talked about, all these things that we get with Easter are also being given to us in the ascension, which the church celebrates on, on this Thursday. So you can, um, if you'd like, there's a thing in the back uh, kind of on some things about the Ascension, if you want to take that as a little meditation for Thursday. But today we focus on prayer. Jesus says, in that day you will ask my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so we want to start with this when it comes to prayer, that Prayer is connected to God being our Father and the Father loving us. And what we need to maybe point out at the outset, because this is one of these things, we, we hear this all the time. It's kind of like when we hear that we are, we are sinners, so we confess this in the creed that um, I, a poor, miserable sinner, that that word sinner does not hit us the way that it probably should because it's so familiar. And the same with these words, Father and love. That the Father loves us. That, that should be an amazing statement to our ears. It, it should just floor us that that is the reality. So, so maybe a little bit of an analogy to, to picture this, although probably rather incompletely. It would, it would be like, let's say, uh, you are the owner of a, uh, of a cupcake shop. And you hire someone to be a cupcake maker. And you tell them, like, here's the 10 rules of being a cupcake maker. You need to show up on time, and you need to wash your hands, uh, and you need to uh, use these ingredients. You need to bake the cupcakes for this amount of time, at this temperature, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You hire a guy, and he comes in, uh, and he shows up late, and he's filthy, doesn't wash his hands, uh, he uses all the wrong ingredients, he yells at the customers every time they're coming in, uh, he bakes the, the cupcakes at 500 degrees for an hour so that they're little bricks instead of cupcakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just not a good cupcake maker. And so the cupcake maker owner, cupcake factory owner, calls the guy in to discuss this with him. And the cupcake maker makes it very clear that the reason why he's doing all of this 
is because he despises the owner. He doesn't like him. And in order to make his point, he takes one of the little cupcake bricks and he spits on it and he shoves it in the guy's mouth. So take this picture and ask, does the owner of the cupcake shop love this cupcake maker? Well, for us, probably not. And in fact, we, we would look at that and say, well, that guy should probably be fired on the spot. But this is an incomplete picture of who we are in our sin as we stand before God. That we are born, as we've discussed in the past, uh, as children of the devil. We have the devil as our father, not the holy, not the heavenly father. That we are born in, in sin, in rebellion, and all these sorts of things. That God has every right to just cast us away. We are not innately lovable. God is not intrinsically or by nature our father. Something has to happen in order to set that reality in place. And that is the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. That in that, he becomes your father. And in that, the father therefore loves you. And because the Father loves you, we pray to our Father. Not, not to the strange, unknown God. Not to the God that we're not sure whether he's listening to us. Not to the God that we think might be our enemy. I mean, if we approach prayer like this, it would be kind of like we would uh, have a voters' assembly like once every five years to figure out like what is the one thing that we want to ask God for. And we'll figure out like what's the most important thing that the congregation wants to ask for. Uh, we'll say, this is our one petition to God. And then we'll say, pastor, you go and go and ask God because you, you might die. Right? If God is our enemy, God is not our father. That's the reality of, of prayer. But because, as Jesus says, the father himself loves you, we come to him in prayer. And we ought to remember then with prayer, this Anytime these topics come up, it's always good to, to remember uh, some of these questions like why we pray. And there's three main reasons for this, and they are wonderful, and they are gifts to us by God through the resurrection and ascension of Christ. That the first reason why we pray is because God commands it. This is the second commandment. God tells us to have no other gods, and the very first thing out, very next thing out of his mouth is pray. Use my name rightly. Uh, Jesus gives us this expectation when he teaches us about prayer. And he says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Jesus just expects it from his Christians. Uh, he says this, uh, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And we should see there that that is a command of Jesus to ask. Now, this should not then be a burden to us. Simply because it is the Lord's command, this should not be a burden to us. Prayer is not burdensome. It is a joy. And in fact, because it's commanded, that, in, that makes it joyful for us. Because here's how it goes. You guys remember this, the, the narrative of Esther uh, and uh, King Ahasuerus? Esther's married to the king. And uh, she finds out through Mordecai that uh, the king has this plan to 
kill all of the Jews. And so she goes to petition the king on their behalf. But she's scared to do that. Why? Because if you are not invited to speak in front of the king, you're very likely going to be killed. That, that is the reality. Uh, and it's not, um, even though it may, may or may not result in death, it's, it's not uncommon for us either. Like If you went to just go and barge into the Oval Office and ask the president for something without an invitation, one, you're probably not getting to the Oval Office, not getting that far, you're going to get carted off. But it's not even to that high. If you went to the governor's office and you went to go and ask her for something and you weren't invited, you're not going to make it in. You're going to get carted off. You have to be invited to ask. And this is what the command is. God says, pray to me. Here's my name. Use it. Call upon me in every trouble. Pray, praise, give thanks. And that is why it is a joyful thing for us and not, not burdensome. It's not, it's not, we don't pray because we're afraid of God. We pray because we love God, because he loves us. So that's the first thing. The next reason why we pray, we pray because he commands. We pray because he promises both to hear and to answer that prayer. It says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you. Whatever you ask in my name, you will have. Jesus promises that whatever we bring to him and to the Father in prayer, he does hear these things. And he promises too, we had this last week in the sending of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, part of his work is to intercede for us. Because as all of us who have prayed know, sometimes we just don't have the words. We know what we want to pray for. We know what is burdening our hearts. But we don't, we don't have the words for it. And so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, as St. Paul says, with groanings too deep for words, which is wonderful. That God hears our prayers even when we don't have the words to put to it. And he brings those petitions before the throne of God. And so does Jesus. But God does not always answer, and this is the hard part about prayer, God does not always answer, not, not only in our time, but the way that we necessarily would want him to answer. And we see this in the Old Testament reading with the, the fiery serpent. So the people of Israel are, are going out, and they've gone through the Red Sea, they're going about Edom, and they start, so they do basically in every chapter, they start grumbling. Um, there's a bit of an irony, and they said, uh, there is no food and water, and we loathe this worthless food. You're kind of like, well, which is it? Do you, do you not have any food, or do you just not like the food that's been given to you? And it, it is the second one. And so the Lord sends these fiery serpents to come and bite them, and they, they get bit, and they die. And so they recognize we've sinned, and they ask Moses, go and pray to God for us. And so, God, so Moses prays to God, remove the fiery serpents. And what does God do? He doesn't remove the fiery serpents. 
What he does is more important. He removes the, uh, the outcome of the fiery serpents. They no longer die because of the fiery serpents. Now they have the serpent on the pole, which Jesus says is one of the two things that he pulls in from the Old Testament. One of the two things that he pulls in as pictures of himself. The serpent on the pole and Jonah in the belly of the fish. These are the two things that he pulls in that are representative of his death and his resurrection. But this is instructive for us because we tend to approach God in in prayer this way. God, here's my problem and here's how you need to fix it. And God will hear our prayers, but he will respond in his time and also in his way. And he knows what is ultimately best for us as, as he promises that he works for good, all things for those who love him. Now, very often we can't see this in the moment. We have to look back retrospectively to the thing, maybe years or decades after the event, but that he is always working everything for good, that he's always hearing and answering our prayers. And it's not always yes. It's not always no, even though it can feel that way sometimes. But that he always answers it in the best possible way. And we see this even in the Lord's Prayer and what he teaches us to pray for. That he, uh, he shows us, like, what are the seven most important things for us to pray for? And that molds our prayers. And then finally, we pray because God gives us the words. So we talked about the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But uh, Jesus, in his mercy, gives us the words to pray. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. And we know that because Jesus tells us, use these words in prayer, that they are well-pleasing to And it is a joy then to approach God with these words, calling upon him as our father and asking him for these seven most important things. And we know that those words are pleasing, that God delights to hear those prayers. But there's more than that. And we forget this sometimes, that God in his mercy has not just given us one prayer to pray. He's given us 151 of them because we have the Psalms. And I know we've talked about this before, but this is a wonderful picture that if you take the Lord's Prayer and you stretch it, you get the Psalms. That is what they are. And there are Psalms for every occasion, everything that we're going through in life. There are words that the Holy Spirit gives us to speak there, whether we understand them, whether we can wrestle with them or not. They are pleasing to God. And then in addition to that, we have these three wonderful little prayers that we can carry with us all the time. Lord, have mercy anytime we see evil. God, be praised anytime we see good. And come, Lord Jesus, quickly at all times, praying for Jesus to come back. God gives us this wonderful gift of prayer that is bound up to his dying and is rising, and is ascending. And so we look to him through our prayers in faith, trusting that he gives us the things that we need in Christ, and answering especially our most important petitions, that we would be forgiven, that we would be saved, that we would be inheritors of eternity. And in Christ, those prayers are always yes. In Christ, 
those prayers are always given to us. And we see the evidence of that yes every time we hear the scriptures and every time uh, we remember our baptism, every time we hear the absolution, every time we receive the Holy Sacrament, that this is God's yes in Christ. And the result of that, as Jesus says, is our joy. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.